All right, we're looking at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. And today we get to some very important information as Paul very concisely lays out two different sides here of God's will for us in sanctification. And he says, And do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. So he contrasts these two experiences, being filled with the Spirit and contrasted with being drunk with wine. And he picks this aspect of, of wine because probably of being so common. And so common then, there was great risk then with it. And uh, there are other things we could, that could come in this category, but Paul uh, identifies this element to warn about that we're not to be drunk with wine that is the opposite of being filled with the Spirit. And we've been talking about the different details along with this the last few weeks. Today we're going to talk about the issue of being drunk with wine and how we're to approach that, how we are to deal with that with the issue of drinking. And I think it's very important that we deal with that accurately because I believe many are looking at what the Bible says about wine and how often it talks about wine and that wine is mentioned as a beverage in the ancient world and during the Bible times. And then they proceed to quickly make conclusions from that, that we can drink wine today. And I want to share information with you to contradict that and to, I think, give us some accurate understanding of how we, can, how we approach this uh, and what the Bible's perspective of it is. What is very important to understand here, as with many other issues with the Bible in properly interpreting them, is to know what was happening in history that they were referring to. What was the wine that they drank in Bible times? It's very important to understand that accurately to be able then to make a decision about today with what we will do with what we have as beverages. And so I want to share that information with you that I uh, came across from uh, John MacArthur. And uh, I was delighted that as we began this study, I had heard him speak about this of saying certain details, but he, he didn't reveal where he got the sources for it. And I had long sought to find that. And lo and behold, I had it on my shelf all along in his commentary series on Ephesians 5.18. Uh, I don't know why I didn't think to look there for uh, all the time when I was desiring to have that information, but he has it all right here in his commentary on this verse, Ephesians 5.18. And I want to share this with you, this information that he has revealed, and I think it's very informative and very helpful in us evaluating this, this issue. Wine was an ancient common drink because it's basically juice from grapes. Grape juice. And people have long 
drank this as, as a drink, and um, that is basically what is the drink by the reference of wine, and we have that today also. But what, how did they go about this? Well, there are three different terms for wine in the Bible, and it's important to understand these terms. The first term, the first kind of wine was in the Hebrew called shikar, and in Greek it's sikara, but it's translated in our English translations most commonly strong drink. This strong drink was grape juice, wine that was distilled to increase the alcoholic content beyond what was normally there. Hence the name strong drink. It was artificially manufactured in order to get high alcoholic content because they wanted a strong drink. They wanted to be strongly intoxicated. There was drink made that way. That has been known from ancient times. Uh, This has been known how to do. It's a very simple process. Even though I just researched it this week and, and, and learned it, but it's a very simple process and it's been practiced since ancient times. And it's basically that you take grape juice is, is common, but other, other products can be used that have sugar in them. Basically, alcohol is where the sugars are converted into ethyl uh, alcohol, ethanol. In that chemical process that happens naturally, the sugars are converted into alcohol through the fermentation process, and the yeast and the bacteria in the breads, wheat, sugary drinks will naturally go through that process on its own with enough time. And so, what happens is the sugars are converted into the alcohol, and once the sugars are used up, it stops. And so it's a limited process. However the sugar content is in there, that's what gets conferred alcohol and then it's done. And so with, with wine, and, and actually I have read a contrasting numbers here. Not sure, uh, haven't verified of who exactly is the accurate one. I've read, two, I've read uh, a science book uh, from a Christian scientist that we used that said on its own that grape juice will produce a four to five percent alcoholic beverage. And it's, that's all it'll do. That's the limit. MacArthur had that it can produce up to nine to 11 percent on its own. I tend to go with the scientist. MacArthur might have, sometimes we preachers can do this, he might have just taken the word or made some conclusions that may have been wrong in the sense that wine today has an alcoholic content of 11 to 12. So maybe he thought that's just the natural process. But I think it's, I think it's likely that it is lower and that it is distilled up. But that's how alcohol is made, in that natural process of sugars converted into alcohol. And once the sugars are done, finished, then that fermentation stops. The distillation is an artificial process, uh, artificial in that man does it, by boiling 
the liquid, boiling the grape juice. Because what happens is they have different boiling points. The alcohol and the, um, the water have different boiling points. The alcohol is slightly lower boiling point than water. Water's 212, I think it was, alcohol is 173. And so when they boil the grape juice, the alcohol that's there naturally, you know, it's natural whatever, four to five percent, it's naturally there, that will get converted into gas. You know, when you boil water, it turns into vapor. The alcohol gets vaporized at 173. The water is still there, not boiling yet, not creating the vapor yet. And so it, since bleeds off the alcohol into a gas, and they have a process where they collect it. And that's the, uh, you've seen the pictures of a, of a steel. And it's a pretty simple process of just heating up the water and collecting it through tubes into another bottle or whatever collect the gas that comes off of that it's the alcohol and that's what a steel is and this was done from ancient times a boiling it and collecting the gas the alcohol and then conditioning it back let it cool down and then you have a more pure form of alcohol and you put that then into the regular beverage and it increases then the alcoholic content so basically you're just collecting a higher concentration of alcohol and then putting it into dumping it into a regular drink to up the alcohol that's the distillation process and that's been done from ancient times that was the strong drink in the bible that's mentioned they would uh, do that boil it and uh, up the content the same thing is done today all of the uh Liquor, typically we'd call them liquor drinks, whiskey, bourbon, brandy. There's different names, and I don't even know what makes them different, but there's different types of things. All of those are created through the distillation process to up it, and there's different levels, but some of them get quite high. Some of the whiskey drinks are like 80 to 90%, and it's 80% alcohol. I mean, that is just, that's strong. That's strong drink. Uh, it's enough to kill you. We talked about that before. It's just poison. You're totally overloading your system. With that. Your system cannot handle that, kind of, that much alcohol. In fact, when the, the yeast or the grape juice is going through the fermentation process, there's also a cutoff that if a certain amount of alcohol becomes toxic to the yeast and it kills the yeast. So alcohol is a poison and you put uh, too much of that in your body and you're poisoning yourself and your body eventually will shut down and that's the element of that you drink so much you pass out is your body is shutting down because you are overloading it and you're getting close to death and if you drink enough you could die some people have so that's strong drink through the distillation process there is a second kind of wine mentioned in the bible and typically this is translated new wine in the Greek, it's called glucose, and that's where we get our name glucose sugar today because it's new wine, or it could be called sweet wine. This is grape juice that is allowed to go through the natural process of fermentation, and so it is, and it happens quickly from what I've read. 
that the sugars begin to convert into alcohol, but you still have some sugars present. And so when you drink it, it's sweet to the taste. And that's why it's sometimes called sweet wine. But this is new wine, meaning it's just straight grape juice that's allowed to ferment uh, quickly, and then it's drank, drunk. I maybe get my verb tenses wrong, but then when it, it's drank, it tastes sweet, and it's already I mean, it's beginning to be alcohol, so it is intoxicating. And I read that it is fairly intoxicating. The fermentation process happens fairly quickly, and it's fairly intoxicating. That's called new wine. That is what was stated in Acts 2 when the disciples, with the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came on them, they were speaking in other tongues. They said, these guys are full of new wine. Now, what you're going to see here, it, 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 strong drink was the strongest, but new wine was the second level. It was stronger than the third one I'm about to talk about. It was stronger and, and it could happen quicker. So apparently maybe that's why they thought, hey, these guys got a hold of some new wine. And uh, they typically would, because it was stronger, they would water it down. They would mix it. We're going to talk more about that here following. But uh, it was fairly intoxicating, and that's what the, the apostles were accused of drinking on the day of Pentecost. The third kind of wine is in the Greek called oinos, and in the Hebrew, yayin. And this is the most often referred to term for wine. When you see the word wine in the Bible, it's this word, oinos. This is what they used as a beverage. As I said, if it was the stronger version, it's called strong drink. If it is the, the new wine, it would be called new wine. You'll see that adjective put on there, new wine. When it just says wine, it's talking about this. And so here in Ephesians 5.18 is this word, oinos. And this wine was made in a specific way, and that was what the word referred to. The word, the root word means literally bubbling or boiling up. And it did not refer to the, the uh, alcoholic feature of it. For when you, when fermentation happens, it, it uh, converts sugar into alcohol and carbon dioxide, which creates the carbonation effect, the fizzing. But it does not refer to that. This word's not, the bubbling up does not refer to that. It, ref, it refers to that they would take fresh grape juice and they would boil it to boil all the water off to reduce it to a heavy syrup or a thick paste. And so the, the boiling, they would go beyond 212 to boil the water out. The alcohol would be boiled out. The water would be boiled out. And it would kill all the bacteria, and what you'd have left would be a thick syrup or paste. This was how this was made. The, it was done that way so that it could be stored. It could be preserved. Because as it killed the bacteria, then it would store for longer periods of time. It was a way to purify the grape juice and make it into a paste. It could be stored much more easily. And then to drink it, they would then, whenever they, so they would store it as this syrup or paste, and then when they wanted to drink, they'd take it out, scrape it out, 
and they would then put it in a jug and pour water in it and mix it up into a drink, much like we do today with frozen concentrate. I love orange juice in the morning. When I don't have orange juice, I, I'm not happy. <laughs> and I have to mix it up. Sometimes I have to get it up, mix, put that concentrate in and mix it up. Same thing with grape juice. You have this, con- you had this concentrate in a paste and you put, get it out. And we do that because you can freeze it. It's easy to, to store it. This is how they would do before refrigeration. They would make it to this paste, boil it to make it to a paste where all the bacteria was killed out so it would last longer and they could store it and then they pulled it out, mixed it up with water, and then they would drink it. That was the wine of the Bible time. When it's saying wine, this is what it's referring to. And this is how they would do it. Now, that tells us two things. In that boiling process, the alcohol that had already uh, been fermented was boiled off. And so the, the, the sugar content was lessened to whatever point it was. It was done fairly quickly, so there was still sugar in it. And when they mixed it up, but they, so to mix it, they would have to dilute it with water in order to drink it. And that would reduce the alcoholic content was there. And then as it aged, it would uh, ferment. This wine was intoxicating, but it was very low. It was low because of the, the boiling that had happened, and then because, mostly because it was then mixed with water. And then you'll see a phrase, mixed wine, both in the Bible and in ancient writings, and it would refer to the fact that you were mixing water with the wine. It could refer to either this was done with the new wine in order to dilute down the alcoholic content. And it was also done with this paste, the oinos, in order to then also make it drinkable. But then it had the effect of reducing the alcoholic content. And MacArthur, on his numbers saying 9 to 11, he said it would typically be mixed three parts water to the one part of the paste and that that would then yield an alcoholic content of around two percent very low but it was alcoholic but it was low it was low enough that if you drank it as just an ordinary beverage of a glass or two it would not make you what the bible calls drunk and we talked about our definition of drunkenness and our concept of drunkenness intoxication is it begins to affect your mind. Not that you're stumbling around and you can't walk. That's the world's context, concept of drunkenness. And most Christians who then talk about this issue, say, well, I'm not getting drunk. I'm not stumbling around. But the intoxication really is it begins to affect your mind. This beverage would not do that by just drinking in normal amounts because the alcoholic content was so low it would if you drank a lot of it and a part of the evidence also that comes out in the bible uh, we see some indications of this even though it's not spelled out say this is how the wine was made in the bible times we know this from history and i'm about to give you the sources for that but in the bible we see in proverbs talking about the, when it gave the warnings about wine, it says those who tarry long at the wine. 
get drunk. And that's a reference to that. The alcohol content was so low because of the mixing with water that they had to drink a lot of it. And those who wanted to get drunk would do that. They would tarry long at the wine. They would drink all day in order to get drunk. Uh, that's probably why the apostles were accused of the new wine because it would have taken them all day to get drunk on the regular wine and it was early in the morning. And they said, well, these guys must be drinking new wine. They're already drunk because it could happen much quicker with the new wine. So that's probably why they said that. So it was alcoholic, but it took a long time because it was so low. And you had to be drinking a lot of it for that purpose. Because, you know, normally you wouldn't need to drink that much. You drink, but the guys who wanted to get drunk would drink a lot of it in order to get, get drunk. And so these three terms are very important to understand and to understand that when it says wine, it's referring to this this paste that they would boil that then would be mixed with water. And so the wine of the Bible was diluted with water. That is significant. That is very, very significant. I think another indication toward this is when Jesus turned the water into wine, that where he, put the, he had them put water in it first. I think that was a, a picture of that. And it's, that's just how they did. They mixed their wine with water. They didn't drink it straight because it, would have, it was too intoxicating. They mixed it in order to dilute it so it wouldn't be intoxicating with just a normal amount. And you see Jesus starting with the water, I think, to be an indication of that. And that's, how they, that's just how they made it. Let me give you the sources for this. And it's, it, there's, there's strong support for this. This is not John MacArthur as a preacher just making up stuff so he could speak against alcohol. This is very clear from ancient records. This comes first from the Jewish Mishnah. That is the writings of their traditions, the Jewish traditions. They have, you know, they have the law, the Old Testament Moses law, the law of Moses. Beyond that, the scribes and the priests began to write down and say, well, these, these are the traditions that we follow. And they, and in a sense, added, or it was their commentary on the law. And in doing that, they did add a lot of their own laws. And the ancient writing of this was called the Mishnah. There was another updated one in the Middle Ages, I believe, is when it was called the Talmud. This is the Mishnah. This goes back in the ancient. And it tells how the Jews made their wine. And it states in the Mishnah that they regularly used the boiled wine, the oinos, to reduce it to a thick consistency of a paste and then mixed it with water. And so in the, in the Mishnah, they talk about that's just how they made their wine. And that is a strong evidence that, that the Mishnah was written sometime just past the New Testament time. But that tells us how they were doing this in the Bible times. The Jews hold traditions a long time. And this reveals that they, in fact, did this. They created this paste and, and mixed it with water. And that was the wine of the Bible Times. Added to that is we have a statement from Aristotle talking about a wine made in the uh, city of Arcadia that, that being so thick that it had to be scraped from the skin bottles in which it was stored and the scrapings diluted with water in order to make a drink. 
the Roman historian, there was a Roman historian named Pliny, and he often referred to non-intoxicating wine. The Roman poet Horace wrote in 35 BC and mentioned non-intoxicating wine. And that would be in reference to this wine made from a paste. Because MacArthur brought out that even within our standards today, that when he wrote this book, he said the standard today is an alcoholic beverage. Over 3.2% is considered alcoholic. Under 3.2%, it's not considered to be alcoholic with a modern standard. And so his point is that with this paste and the 2% content, it was labeled in ancient times as non-intoxicating, meaning if you just drank one or two glasses with your meal, it's not going to intoxicate you. It doesn't have enough alcohol to intoxicate you. There is alcohol there. So the wine of the Bible was alcoholic. But the way they did it and prepared it and drank it, it was so low it would not make you intoxicated unless you drank a lot of it. it says in the, he says in the ninth book of the Odyssey by Homer, that Ulysses is said to put in his goat skin some sweet black wine that was diluted with 20 parts of water before being drunk. So you have even the ancient Greeks, even the secular writers are talking about that the common practice in the culture was diluting the wine with the water. In AD 60, the Greek biographer Plutarch commented, the filtered wine neither inflames the brain nor infects the mind and the passions and is much more pleasant to drink. That's a reference to the, the oinos, the paste. He called it filtered wine. And he said it does not inflame the brain or infect the mind and the passions. That is a good definition of intoxication is that it begins to affect the brain and it inflames the mind and saying things you wouldn't normally say, doing things you wouldn't normally do. That's what intoxication does. And he mentions it there and he says this filter wine doesn't do that in its normal use. There was an article in Christianity Today written in 1975 by Robert Stein he wrote an article about how the ancient Greeks kept their, he said, unboiled, unmixed, and therefore highly alcoholic wine in large jugs. And before drinking, they would pour it into smaller vessels and dilute it with water as much as 20 to 1. And that's what they used as their common beverage. So that would be like new wine that would be diluted down 20 to 1. That's a lot of, that, you know, that's, that's strongly diluted because the wine was stronger. So they they were diluting that. He said the undiluted liquid or unmixed wine, oh, he was saying it was called unmixed wine. Even among, he said, even among the civilized pagans, drinking unmixed wine was considered stupid and barbaric. Uh, he quotes from a, a Greek writer named Menesistus of Athens, and he says, in medicine, wine is most beneficial. It can be mixed with liquid and drugs, and it, can, and it brings aid to the wounded. In daily intercourse, those who mix and drink it moderately, it gives good cheer. But if you overstep the bounds... Now, when he said mix it, he's meaning with water. That was the ancient practice. The ancient term mixed wine meant mix it with water. Don't drink it straight. He said, 
if you drink it mixed and moderately, it gives good cheer. But if you overstep the bounds, it brings violence. Mix it half and half and you get madness, unmixed bodily collapse. So there's a very scientific understanding that uh, they had in the ancient world that uh, he was saying it was mixed with water. And if it was only half and half, it would make you drunk, create madness and unmix. He said, you're killing yourself, bodily collapse. So they understand it was a poison and they mixed it. They diluted it with water. And this was the drink of the Bible times. So when we read then in the New Testament that they drank wine, it was a wine that was diluted down with water to be a low, around 2% alcoholic content for the purpose that it would not intoxicate through normal use. And that wine that occurs in the Bible, that's mentioned in the Bible, therefore is not equivalent to the wine that is sold and drank today. There is no wine that is sold and marketed in a concentrate that you mix water with. My reading has been that the wine today, the basic wine is 11 to 12% alcohol content. That will make you drunk. You drink even a small amount of it, and it's going to begin affecting you. That's being drunk. It's going to be affecting your mind. It's going to begin controlling you and making you say things you shouldn't say and do things that you shouldn't do. I've read that beer is 6%. And uh, maybe that's why the guys buy it by the six-pack. And, and they drink a six-pack. And so they can get intoxicated from it because it's just 6%. Maybe that's just, maybe that's a, the natural level. You know, that coincides more with what that scientist said was four to five. And so then they drink a lot of what well, they do. They drink a lot of it because they really, they're wanting to get intoxicated. So the wine, 10 to 12, and you go up from there, as I said, with the strong drink. They can get 80 to 90%. It's craziness. It's absolute craziness. And you drink even a small amount of that and you're going to get intoxicated. And it's going to do damage to your body. But the basic point that we come to then is then the wine sold today is not the equivalent of the wine in the Bible times. They are not equal. They do not correspond. One is different than the other. And you have this range. The Bible lays this out with the strong drink, new wine, oinos. And what you really have is high to low. You have strong drink, which is a high content alcoholic content. Then you have the new wine, which is less, but it's strong. It's stronger. It's not as strong, but it's still intoxicating. And then you have the oinos, which is the lowest. And it's low enough that you won't get intoxicated just with normal use. That's the wine that the Bible talks about and indicates you can drink it. And the Bible does say that. They drank it. They were not condemned. There's a psalm that says, wine makes the heart glad. But it was this oinos that they were referring to. Not the wine that you go down to the liquor store and it's on the shelf. That is not what they were referring to. What that wine would be categorized as would be either the new wine or the strong drink. 
according to the Bible's descriptions. So they're not the same. So we cannot come to this and say, well, Jesus turned water into wine and they drank wine. Therefore, I can go down and buy a bottle that says the same word on it, W-I-N-E. And it's the same thing. No, it's not. And we've got to be smart about this. We've got to be wise. We've got to be accurate. The point is, how much alcohol does it have in it? That's the problem. That's the issue. And the wine today is not equivalent to the wine of the Bible. So we cannot make a decision based on just the titles. We must look at the alcoholic content. And therefore, I say that Ephesians 5.18 tells us not to be drunk with wine, meaning don't drink. And, and again, this word wine just referred to, the, in general, the grape juice, the fruit from the grapes. And it's saying don't drink any of that product that's going to intoxicate you. Don't take wine that's going to intoxicate you. And therefore, the way you evaluate then a drink is how much alcohol does it have in it? At what process is it along the way? How was it made? How much alcohol does it have in it? And does it have enough that's going to intoxicate me? If it does, Ephesians 5.18 tells me I'm not to take that. And I believe the modern wine that's sold typically 10 to 12 will do that. Because I've, even, I've witnessed it with other people. And they're drinking wine. They begin to say things that they wouldn't normally say. Things that weren't proper. They got drunk from wine. Because it's got 10 to 12 percent. And that's too high. Now, based on this, I would say that based on the Bible's parameters here, when we understand what was happening here, then you could take that wine and water it down, mix it with water till it's low enough where it won't intoxicate you, and you could drink that. But then we get into issues of then what you're communicating that others may not know, as Paul said with some issues that you don't cause a brother to stumble and you don't cause somebody to misunderstand what you're doing. There's issues about that, too. But technically, if you drink an alcoholic beverage that is below, two or below, is not going to intoxicate you, then the Bible doesn't forbid that. Because, again, the issue is not the label on the drink, but how much alcohol is in it. That's the issue because that's what's going to intoxicate you. And the question is, is it got enough that it's going to intoxicate me with what I'm going to drink from it? Is it going to be in to control my mind? And if, it, if the answer is yes, then the Bible tells us don't, don't do that. Do not be drunk with wine. But if it's not going to do that, then it's not a problem. That's the situation with wine in the Bible. So... I believe Christians are, are making a mistake who say, well, they're both the same. This is called, that was called wine in the Bible. This is called wine on the shelf, so I can do it. And they're not looking at the facts and the issue, the key issue of how much alcohol is in it. And does that equate with what was in the Bible? And it doesn't. By studying these historical facts and even seeing these, even these secular Greeks saw the danger and said, hey, well, you know, you need to mix, mix it up mix water with it, or it's a problem. And that is what the Bible was supporting. Even at that, you have in the qualifications for a pastor, warnings about an indication that they weren't even to drink it at all. Apparently, 
wanting to avoid any appearance of drunkenness. That uh, the phrase is not being addicted or not given to wine, and there's debate on just what that what that means. But uh, certainly, it means you know not not to, they weren't going to drink enough of it where they get intoxicated. That's always forbidden in Scripture. So that is how I believe we need to evaluate this, and that uh, we need to be wise, and uh, that uh, I believe that based on this, the wine that's sold today is not something that we should partake of because of the level of alcohol that's in it that will intoxicate. But if it is low enough that will not cause intoxication, then that is not forbidden. And uh, you have Paul telling Timothy, drink a little wine for your stomach's sake. There is some additional purposes with it. And you see there the pastors were not even taking any of it to try to, to avoid any appearance. And, but Paul told him to do it for his health's sake a, a little wine. So this, these are the issues, is the alcoholic content. And the evidence is clear that the wine, the Bible times, was diluted down with water so that it would be low in its alcoholic content. And that is the only beverage that uh, we are permitted to partake of. You can do it the same way, then do that. Otherwise, if it's not equal, then you have no biblical standing to say that the Bible supports that. So I really appreciate MacArthur's study on this and bringing this out. And I think that is very important clarity of how to, uh, to understand the uh, details of these issues. I wanna, uh, let me say before we end that uh, I looked up the word uh, drunk in the Greek. You do not be drunk with wine. Well, what's it mean? And it, and it, it basically is the definition of the word drunk or intoxicated. But there was one description that said it can have a meaning of drink freely. And I thought that was informative, that meaning that you're going to have these beverages that would be very low. But if you drink freely, you're going to drink a lot of it, meaning you're going to get more alcohol, that's being intoxicated. And the higher level of alcoholic beverages today just create that through the levels that they have. The second word in the, uh, the verse significant is be filled, to be filled with the Spirit. And again, it was kind of the basic, just, it means to be full, to be filled with it. But it also gave examples of saying, you know, we can say somebody's filled with fear. Somebody's filled with worry. What does that mean? It means they're being controlled by that emotion. They're being controlled by, by worry and fear. It's making them think certain ways and do certain things and say things. And that's the, the concept of, of really both sides of the positive being filled and then the negative of being drunk. It's that we're to be controlled by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is to control our thinking and our words. And the opposite of that is that the alcohol is controlling our words and our mind and our thinking and our actions. And that is... Again, the, uh, what drunk is, that it begins to affect you and how you think. And the Bible tells us to stay away from that. Uh, in another, I believe it's in Corinthians, Paul said that food's for the stomach and stomach for the foods, but I will not be brought under power of any. And I think that's a good standard he gives there in Scripture is that the, the, the point that we need to be concerned about is that things begin to control me. 
you know, where I have to have this and it affects me a certain way, it affects my mind, my emotions. And Paul said, we're not to use food or drink that way. And alcohol is certainly an example of that where it begins to control our minds. And scripture tells us, stay away from anything that would begin to control our minds because our minds are only supposed to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. It's one or the other. And we're to be controlled by the Spirit and, not, and avoid anything that would interfere with the control of the Holy Spirit uh, in our minds and therefore in our lives. All right, let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for all the things you have made. And we thank you for your truth and your word. And I thank you for these truths that uh, Pastor MacArthur has made known and researched and uh, how helpful they are. And I pray that you give us wisdom in, uh, in what we do and uh, help us to be filled with the Spirit and to not allow anything that would control our minds and lead our minds away from being controlled by the Spirit to doing what you want us to do and, and uh, just to be filled with your power and your will in our lives. Help us to uh, be a, a witness for you through the Spirit and be a witness of these things uh, in, in the world today as the world pursues drunkenness more and more. And uh, even this is coming into the church. I pray you give us wisdom in this and uh, guide us in these truths. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.